It's New Comics Day, Wednesday, March 18th, 2015, and you're listening to the God and Comics podcast, not to be confused with our arch nemesis, the Satan and Sudoku podcast. Today on the show, cartoons. Throughout the history of comics, our favorite characters have been making the leap from still drawings on a page to animated images on a screen. We'll discuss the appeal of comic book cartoons, mention some of our favorites, and talk about the joy of forcing our children to watch our favorites. And as always, we'll have recommendations, this or that, and a whole lot more. I'm your host, Father Jonathan Michikin. I am rector of Church of the Holy Comforter in Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania. I am on the line here with Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you? Hi, I'm in uh, Cooperstown, New York at Christ Church. And I'm also on the line with Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I'm rector at Church of the Messiah in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Okay, and um, I, I'm hoping that I have the right amount of energy for today's show. I made the mistake of buying Oreo cookies at lunch. Uh, I was I was weak. Uh, I hope you all will, will forgive me my weakness. Uh, but, uh, you know, I know it's Lent and everything, but those cookies just look too good. Uh, so it's possible I'll pass out somewhere in the in the midst of today's show. But uh, uh, but you guys just keep running with it, you know. Even if I pass out, that should not be an excuse for you all to stop talking about comic books. We will keep going. Did you eat the entire large pack, or was this a single sleeve? Oh, I bought a whole thing, but I, I, I have only eaten uh, about five of them. Uh, okay. So I should be okay. But then I probably will eat another five before Vestry tonight, which may turn out to be a really bad decision. So... <laughs> Can I, is it possible for me to confess a sin I have not yet committed? I suppose it is. <laughs> um, I'm not sure it's possible to absolve a sin that hasn't yet been committed, but... We'll, we'll say instead, sin boldly. Sin boldly, there we go. That's the new crossover event, sin boldly. Okay, well let's jump into recommendations... Uh, Father Matt, uh, you uh, stole my recommendation, so <laughs> I, I'm waiting to hear what you have to say about uh, a wonderful comic book. That's right. Uh, Father and jo Jonathan and I uh, both had the same recommendation this week. We discovered that earlier when we were uh, sharing what we were going to recommend. And uh, so we had to wrestle for it. And Although he very easily overpowered me, he was gracious enough to allow me to have it anyway. I have those thunder thighs, you know. They, they take <laughs> out anyone. So uh, my recommendation is Spider-Woman issue 5. And um, Spider-Woman's a, a, a great character. Marvel resurrected uh, her from obscurity a few years ago. Uh, with with Brian Michael Bendis's uh, run on the Avengers, she was uh, she was also featured in a couple of miniseries of her own, both of which uh, were written by Bendis, and and they're they're both well worth reading. But last summer they finally brought back her title as an ongoing series, but it it, it wasn't handled as well as it might have been. I issue 
one began right in the middle of the major Spider-Verse crossover. And so, well, it was completely inaccessible if you weren't already following the other titles involved in that crossover. It felt more like issue 20 than issue one. Uh, and, and then moreover, there was uh, that horrible, hyper-sexualized, poorly drawn variant cover, which offended a lot of people and nearly broke the internet. Did, did you guys hear about that? I did. Oh, what yeah. was that, the butt controversy? Something. Yes, the, the, the butt controversy. It was, it, was, it was a little bit too prominently displayed on, on, on the cover of issue one. Well, issue five... Um, gives Spider-Woman a fresh start and actually feels much more like uh, a first issue. There is a a new creative team, uh, Dennis Hopeless and Javert Rodriguez, and Spider-Woman has a very cool new suit, too. So um, they they took her out of the the, the spandex kind of bodysuit that she wore uh, really from the time she was created and um and they've given her something much more practical uh something you could imagine a, a woman being comfortable fighting crime in so uh, she's got like kind of like a, a a motorcycle jacket and and um and it has it has some homages to the original suit but um Father, it, it, Father, could you say a word about? I'm just thinking that some some folks may not be that familiar with Spider Woman as a character. Um, would you be able to say a word about who she is and where she came from in the Marvel universe? Yeah. Um, so she she's Spider Woman, but she's she's not connected with Spider Man in any in any way. She's her own character. Um, I, I, she was, I, I think she first came out, I guess it was in the late 70s. And um, I, I think uh, they, they created her character sort of in some ways in response to the women's lib movement. Um, but also just as a way of copywriting the name. There was, a, there was a popular cartoon called Web Woman that was on TV at the time. And so... Um, Marvel Comics said, "Well, we we better grab this name before before um, someone else does." So they created a character, and um, she she uh, she has sort of different powers than Spider Man. She has like Venom blasts. Um, she has some other interesting powers that aren't very much like Spider Man's. She does stick to walls, um, but she doesn't have any webbing or anything like that. Um, so uh, and, and and she she started off with her own series she was connected with uh shield and 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 hydra which is kind of like uh you know two spy agencies in the in the marvel universe and she was also a member of the avengers for a while um but in 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 spider woman issue five she is uh well she's gotten a new start and she's she wants to have kind of more street-level adventures. And, of course, if you want to write a street-level story in Marvel Comics, you have to include uh, investigative reporter for the Daily Bugle, Ben Urich, who is uh, familiar to readers as Spider-Man and Daredevil. And he and Spider-Woman are working together to solve a mystery involving some of 
Marvel Comics B-level villains. And uh, this this story is off to a great start. The artwork is fantastic. With the it has a bit of an indie feel, and and reminds me a little of Mad Fraction's Hawkeye. Uh, in 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 that respect, it doesn't have the same kind of limited palette that 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 um, Hawkeye has. But um, the the author uh, has her uh, even commenting on on the whole controversy with the cover of the first issue she says at one point uh i once lost a week of my life shame googling spider woman's butt <laughs> <laughs> so she's uh, she's just embarrassed by it as, as we all were <laughs> you know I, I had originally thought maybe the the god in comics image could be the three of us in that pose do you think that would be a bad idea <laughs> Uh, I, I don't. I don't quite have the physique for that. Ah, oh, that's a shame. I, I actually might... don't think any human being does. <laughs> <laughs> I actually do, but it would ruin my reputation. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm very excited to see where the series is going. Uh, it, it's only it's only just started, but um, I, I'm excited for it, and I highly recommend uh, you jumping on board. Father Kyle, what's your recommendation? My recommendation this week is a line of uh, graphic novels that are called Classic G.I. Joe. Um, I grew up a huge fan of the G.I. Joe action figures in the 1980s, and I used to run home to watch G.I. Joe cartoon every day after school, and along the way I ended up collecting a few issues of um, the original 1980s run of G.I. Joe, but I had never read the entire series. Um, I'm currently at work on that series. I, I'm somewhere around issue 89 right now. Um, the comic series was written by Larry Hama. Larry, Larry Hama um, is also the man who's responsible for constructing the line of G.I. Joe figures and also for writing the little file cards that appeared on the back of G.I. Joe packages. So he's the master. He's the guy who controlled that whole creation, that revamping of the classic 1960s G.I. Joe. Well, Larry Hama did a 155-issue run for Marvel Comics um, from 1982 to 1995. And then in the year 2008, he resurrected uh, that same line beginning at issue 155 and a half um, with IDW Comics. And so he's been continuing on that run now, and they're somewhere around 211, 212 in terms of the numbering. Um, but I had an opportunity to start collecting these graphic novels just because of my overall interest in, in the characters in G.I. Joe and a little bit of nostalgia for what I used to play with as a child and I started to realize that these stories are a lot more complex and extremely well written uh, especially in the early run of the first 60 issues or so um, there was some stuff in those comic books that I never picked up on before little innuendos and um, personality quirks in the characters and things of that nature that I just never noticed or got even in reading the file cards on the back of the action figure packages. Uh, so it's been fascinating to, to sort of rediscover this whole world of G.I. Joe. Um, you can get each of the graphic novels. They collect 
about 10 issues a piece. Um, they run somewhere around $20 on Amazon. Um, they're generally a little bit more expensive if you're buying them directly in the store. And you can get digital versions of them uh, for somewhere around $10, $11. But I'm thoroughly enjoying it and getting to know these characters again. And anybody who's got even a passing interest in G.I. Joe or has had some some connection to it um, as a child, I would highly recommend it as something to read again. One of the better sides of the comic book is that the cast of um, characters gets broadened out. It can also be a little bit of a downside of G.I. Joe. You know, the comics were intended to, to bump up the sales of the action figures when the new figures came out. Right. And so there was a push to try and include the new figures, which means that some of the characters appear and then don't appear again for 20, 30 issues because they're trying to work all these other characters in. And then some only ever make one appearance and fall by the wayside. The cartoon was a lot more um, limited in terms of the number of characters that they were actually using. But you find that somewhere around the 30s, 40s, 50s of the comic book run, um, some of those stories reflect things that were going on uh, simultaneously in the cartoons. Yeah, I, I, I like most people uh, in 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 my age group, or most most boys uh, who uh, who grew up the same time as I did. I was obsessed with the cartoon and had all the figures and stuff. But I don't think I, I I've seen any of the cartoons since then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I I mean I I remember a lot of the characters and and um, and and. And I, I can kind of look back from memory at some of the stories and see some of the some of the depth and complexity to them. Like I, I remember um, the the GI Joe movie, not not the the live action one that they made recently, but the the animated one. I remember in the story Cobra Commander, something happens where he he is slowly transforming into a snake. Oh yes, yeah. You remember that? So like he yes. and he's just becoming more and more like pathetic and like snake like. And and I remember the first time I read uh, Milton's Paradise Lost, mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 you know similar thing kind of happens to Satan. You know he he he, you know he devolves into a serpent. So he's just pathetic figure crawling on his belly. Yeah. And 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 I. I I have to think that that was kind of a deliberate uh, homage. I don't know. I, I haven't seen the the movie in, in a long time, but I couldn't help but think of Cobra Commander the first time I read Paradise Lost. You know, he became a little bit one-dimensional in the cartoon in the sense that he's this terrorist leader who shrieks at everybody all the time and um, is just perpetually being defeated by G.I. Joe. But in the comic books, they really go into his backstory and dig into the fact that he was this um, ex-hippie who um, became frustrated with the government and the way that the government worked, and there's connections with the Vietnam War. And so it sort of spirals his whole character into becoming this terrorist um, designed to tear down all of the the governmental structures. Greatest threat to America is uh, still hippies, I believe. Isn't that right? (laughs) That's the yeah. morality you of the You gotta watch story. out for the hippies. 
Okay, so um, my, my recommendation uh, this time out is Howard the Duck, issue number one uh, from Marvel Comics, written by Chip Zdarsky with, with art by uh, Joe Quinones. Chip Zdarsky, uh, I'm not sure that he's ever written anything before, uh, actually. He, he's more well-known as an artist. He's the artist on Sex Criminals and a number of other um, uh, titles as well. Uh, but I think most people who've uh, read his letter column responses or anything like that would agree he's genuinely insane. Um, so he's the perfect guy to write Howard the Duck. If you're not familiar with Howard the Duck, he he is a bizarre character. Uh, he was created in the Marvel Universe in the 1970s, uh, and he's basically he's just this. He's a talking duck. Uh, he doesn't have any superpowers. He uh, his origin stories kind of change a little bit from time to time, but uh, the the one that's the most persistent, and I think the one that that Zadarsky is going with is that he is from a planet uh, in another dimension where ducks evolved rather than apes and somehow fell through some interdimensional something or other, uh, you know, comics, whatever, uh, <laughs> fell through some interdimensional something or other, and, and he's on Earth. And actually, in the 70s, even though it was meant to be comedic, it was played as this very existentialist thing. Like the very first issue of, of Howard the Duck, he's like contemplating suicide and <laughs> all, of the, you know, all of this kind of stuff. Um, and so the comedy came from this, you know, the, the way that these kind of dark things, I mean, there was satire. There was a lot of like science fiction-y satire and things like that, but you know, he fights a vampire cow at one point. But uh, but a lot of it was just, you know, the funny thing was that it was a, a talking duck who was acting so dark, basically. And then you got, uh, some people may remember the uh, absolute uh, travesty that is the 1986 George Lucas uh, Howard the Duck film which uh, I have to say was a, a really important part of uh, bringing my wife and I together. We, we watched that early on in our uh, relationship, and I believe even own a VHS copy of it somewhere. Um, <laughs> with uh, Leah Thompson was in it, and uh, it's, 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 it's quite bad. It's quite bad. Um, yeah, I, I think I saw that when I was a kid, and even then I knew it was lame. <laughs> yeah, it yeah it did not do very well. But then he, you know, Howard has kind of been resurrected recently um, with a, a little cameo at the end of the Guardians of the Galaxy film, oh. and so I think that's oh. part of what's led you ruined to it the, for me. I didn't that? see Guardians of the Galaxy. I said you ruined it for me. I didn't see Guardians of the Galaxy yet. Just kidding. Well, uh, you know, what what are you gonna do, right? <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert spoiler I alert know. you know the movie made hundreds of millions of dollars father it's not like i was quoting something uh you know random and obscure like milton i know you know um, it's sitting yeah. on my nightstand waiting to be watched that's right yes much more people know guardians of the galaxy than paradise laws that's true well and and as you know milton was just shilling <laughs> 
he was just shilling for the toys that they were going to make out of that thing. So, yeah. Um, anyway. And the, Mac- the McDonald's Happy Meals. <laughs> and the Happy Meals, that's right. <laughs> Fun- funny, actually, my, one of my favorite Howard the Duck stories is when he was first created, he really basically just looked like Donald Duck smoking a cigar. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, not surprisingly, Disney decided to sue Marvel over this, which is sort of hilarious now considering that Disney owns Marvel. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, Disney decided to sue Marvel over this, and so Marvel, uh, in, in an attempt to avoid having to go to trial, agreed that they would put him in pants uh, so that he would look less like Donald Duck. So he is the only, uh, he, even though he is America's third most famous uh, cartoon duck, he is uh, the only one to wear pants consistently since the mid-70s. Zdarsky's um version of howard the duck is he's he's not wisecracking i mean he's definitely like world weary and cynical but it's not quite as dark it's not quite as existentialist um just to give you an example um the tagline on the the old comic from the 70s uh right under howard the duck it would always say trapped in a world he never made uh zadarsky says trapped in a world he's grown accustomed to and um, he's a he's a private investigator, uh, and our first glimpse of him is a shot of him in a a, a jail cell with a bunch of women because uh, and you know he's been thrown into jail, but the the guy in the other cell uh, was allergic to duck feathers, so he has to go and hang out with the women instead. And there's just there's a there's a ton of quips. Uh, it's very funny um it's uh he's got a, a a woman named tara who who becomes kind of a i think is going to become kind of a sidekick character for him but also kind of a foil for him you know there's a lot of cameos by marvel characters that you uh know and love she hulk is in there spider-man uh black cat there there's some great jokes about um black cat uh being like Catwoman. um and uh and and a, and a spider-man joke that i won't spoil for you but that is 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 so wonderfully wrong um and uh <laughs> it's just a very kind of a, a crazy ride so if you really you know if you want a good laugh uh and you're you're looking for kind of a a, a strange adventure um, including a another thing I won't spoil, but a, a really uh, exciting cameo at the end for for what's going to happen in issue number two. Pick up Howard the Duck number one. Okay, well we're going to move now to our main topic, and our main topic this uh, this week is cartoons and comic book related cartoons. There have been cartoons made of comics from uh, very early on um, we had the some of the uh, Superman cartoons and stuff that even began to be run in the in the 40s as uh, shorts before some of the uh, feature films um, and then going all the way up uh, you know uh, the 60s when the spider-man cartoon came out all the way into uh, uh, some of the cartoons that we grew up with uh, in the 80s uh, and, and 90s and even into the 2000s. Uh, so I'm just going to, let me start with, with Father Kyle. What, what are some of your favorite cartoons 
And what do you think makes the experience of watching these characters on a cartoon different from uh, reading reading them in a monthly book? First of all, I'll I'll say that my favorite all all time favorite cartoon comic book related cartoon would have to be Batman the animated series from the 1990s. Um, yeah, I just think that rises above almost every other cartoon um, that's been made in terms of its quality and the tone and the story writing and the involvement of the classic characters in the Batman universe and even the addition of new characters who have now gone on to be big things like Harley Quinn. I think that cartoon exists on a, on a particularly high level. Growing up, some of my favorite cartoons superhero cartoons were the super friend series okay. uh, and i've gone back and watched some of those recently in fact i own two volumes of it on dvd and i started to watch one of the volumes with my daughter and i still appreciate those cartoons uh they may be silly they may have some hokiness to them certainly when you have jan and zana the wonder twins and their space monkey gleek there gets to be some weirdness going on there. But um, there's interesting stories that still get played out on that TV show. I think in particular when they, in the one season where they um, were fighting the Legion of Doom, I think there were some really well-written stories in there. One of the things that makes cartoons so appealing to me and different from just reading the comics is that you... You hear voices, you know, we all make up or we read certain voices in our own head. We have our perspective of what the characters may sound like when they talk. And um, when you hear it actually being played out, it either confirms the way you're reading it or it gives you another perspective on the character in terms of how you hear it. So much so to the point that I think in one of our past episodes, Father Jonathan, you were mentioning that when you read Batman, you read him with the voice of, of Kevin Conroy. And yeah. um, Kevin Smith has said the same thing. And I say the same thing for the most part. When I'm reading him, I'm reading him with that voice or sort of a hybrid Michael Keaton, um, <laughs> at times Christian Bale-ish voice, depending on the, oh, the real tone of the book. Christian Bale's but, Batman voice is, is painful. Yes, it's not one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that it just adds another dimension to those characters when you're actually hearing them and seeing them act and be played out in front of you. Plus the addition of sound effects. Um, I've always had a hard time reading sound effects in comic books. It feels unnatural to me. I see them there on the page, but... Uh, I have to imagine sounds in my head, and so hearing the sounds in the in the in the cartoons just adds a whole another dimension to those characters. Uh, F Father Matt, what are what are your thoughts on on the whole move from comic page to to screen? One of my favorite uh, cartoons as a kid, um, and I, and I only really had one episode of it, but was the the Captain America cartoon from the 60s I, I i love i i love this i watched it like over and over again every time my parents went to the uh the movie rental place like i'd want to get it looking at them now the production value was very poor 
and it it was almost just a a, a frame for frame uh, representation from the Jack Kirby comic books. So the 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 move from comic book to cartoon was 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 very literal. I I think a much better uh, cartoon and, and and probably my all time favorite cartoon is. Um, it's this Spider-Man cartoon from the '60s that we, we've yeah. already we've already mentioned. That really kind of started my love for the character. Um, mm-hmm. It was in syndication when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I grew up in the '80s, and, and, and it was on television in the '60s. But I used to watch it before uh, before school in the morning. And I, I mean, the song for one is just um, unforgettable. A, a classic song has been covered by everybody from the the Ramones to uh, Michael Bublé. <laughs> to Homer uh, Simpson? Michael Bublé? Oh, yes, yes, you, 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 should, you should check that out. He does a version of the song. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it just, it's one of those theme songs that just is, um, you know, unforgettable it, it, and, and very catchy. I've recently been watching re-watching a lot of the episodes of the 60s uh spider-man cartoon and uh my daughter loves it she loves the theme song in particular um mine too and we'll we'll and you know when when i take her out in public we'll just like randomly burst out look out here comes the spider-man <laughs> just like you know in in the middle of walmart or something like that <laughs> Yeah, and and, uh, and I I mentioned a bit about this in our in our first podcast. Just the artwork um, from 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 that cartoon was just gorgeous, and I, I I think especially in some of the later ones, it got like more kind of I, I don't know almost psychedelic with these washes of like um, watercolor cityscapes and like long dark shadows, and and then and then he was uh, you know. Like in one episode, he's in this world that's underground, and it just—it's gorgeous. And and um, you know, with the kind of uh, the the beautifully painted scenery and the the jazz kind of score, the jazz score to the uh, show, it does everything right as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I mean, one one of the uh, one of the things that that you don't get as much in the cartoons that you would get in the comic books is the characterization as far as developing Peter Parker's character is pretty minimum. I mean, uh, you, you, you see him once in a while at the daily bugle, but, um, you know, it's a 15 minute cartoon show or whatever. And, and you have to get straight to the action and, and, and the comic book, uh, definitely, um, you know, it's more sophisticated in that respect. But but some of the other uh, the later Spider-Man cartoons also they they came out with a Spider-Man cartoon in the eighties and then uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friends yeah yeah we yeah, talked about a, that a little bit last time but that that was one that I watched a lot as a kid yeah I, and that that was that was just really well done it was funny the 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 camaraderie between Spider-Man Firestar and and Iceman was was always uh, was always uh, real entertaining. <laughs> one one episode of that cartoon that I remember in particular, and I recently watched it again, is Spidey meets the girl from Tomorrow. Do you remember that episode? No. 
No, I don't. I, it, uh, I thought as, as far as characterization goes, it, it had a lot more to offer than, than uh, the 60s uh, cartoon. Spider-Man meets uh, a girl from the future, Ariel, and of course they they fall in love. And, and it's a great story. It's one, it's one of the more memorable episodes of, of, of the, the cartoon. I, I think that one of the reasons why characterization was more difficult in these older cartoons that we're talking about and has gotten better and better over time is because the ability to do animation has gotten better so that when you yeah. only you know when you were drawing every single frame by hand um you you could only do so much uh and uh, even though the comic books were uh, still drawings it, it was almost more you almost had more of an ability with a still image to do deeper characterization than you did with a, a animated image that had to be kind of simpler in order to be uh, reproduced uh, that way. But as time has gone on, you know, now that animation is is completely computerized, I, I think they're telling some of the best stories in in comic cartoons now that they ever have. And uh, even though I have some of these co uh, cartoons that, because some of the ones that I loved as a kid, I look back on now, and uh, you know when I've tried to rewatch them, they've just been horrible. Like I, I oh, was, yeah. a, <laughs> I was a big watcher of He-Man as a kid. If you have you ever tried to watch the He-Man cartoons as an adult? It's awful. It's terrible. <laughs> it's, it's like one thing on the screen is moving, and everything else stays the same place. <laughs> But with some of these newer cartoons, so even though there's some cartoons that I love from when I was a kid and have nostalgia for, the ones that I find that I love the most are the ones that have that have happened in the last, um, really in the last 15 years. Um, I, I, I'm a big fan of the uh, Justice League uh, series that was out in the mid-2000s. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of the Teen Titans uh, series from, from around that same uh, period of time. Um, even more recently than that, you have shows like Young Justice. Uh, oh, I've seen that. That's great. It, it really, I've only seen a few episodes, but it's fantastic. Well, it is, and it, it's able to sort of get to a different kind of emotional place than you, you'd expect otherwise. Or actually, I, here's one that I think is, is highly underrated. Um, there was a, a Green Lantern series uh, in 2011 um, oh. that uh, I think only ran the one season and was probably probably only got the green light because the green light, <laughs> um, no pun intended, uh -huh. um, but probably only got um, got made because of all the hype around the, the the movie, which of course tanked. But it's really, really good. It's um, I don't know if Jeff Johns, who who revamped Green Lantern, um, in in the last uh, fifteen years, had had anything to do with it particularly. But um, the storytelling is just, you know, it's so fluid and it's so rich. And there's um, stuff about um, what makes you know what makes something just and what makes something unjust and what does it mean to be a person uh, and uh, love and loss? You know, um, a couple of these characters, there's a Red Lantern character on that show that had this 
profound kind of loss uh, that he had experienced and, and how that uh, shapes him uh, over the course of the series. And even things that you'd always, you know, that I'd always wondered about. Like there was one episode, you know, with the Green Lanterns, they're from all these different planets, um, but they're able to understand everybody because their rings translate uh, because comics, right? Um, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's sort of like the international, like the, the translators on Star Trek that you just assume, you know, they're there. Like, okay, we're, we're, everything's just being translated by the computer. Uh, so we won't worry about the fact that the Klingons speak English with each other. Um, there was one episode of Green Lantern where uh, they're, they were on some planet and their the three of them their rings ran out of power and they were all three of them from different planets they couldn't understand each other <laughs> for the balance of the episode and they had to figure out how to communicate um so you know i, I don't think you could have done something like that in the 60s just because the level of of sophistication that you would need from the images would have taken too much time um and yeah. uh, you wouldn't have been able to get mm -hmm. to the storytelling that way. That's an excellent right. point. Uh, is that Green Lantern show? Is that on Netflix or Hulu or how? How can we see that? Yeah, it's on Netflix. Um, and I, I've, oh, cool. I've watched it through twice now. Um, yeah. But it's also great yeah. if you haven't read Green Lantern. It's a great sort of introduction to the the rebirth of of the Green Lantern mythos where you have the blue lanterns now and red and orange and, and how all of these different uh, groups interact with one another. So. Mm. Interesting. I was going to say earlier that the uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friends is on Netflix as well. If it is. Yeah. For that. Well, I was going to say another um, modern day cartoon that's really good, but I think didn't get as much notice perhaps is Marvel's Superhero Squad. This is a... It was ran for two seasons, um, somewhere within the last five years or so. I don't remember the exact dates. The animation's interesting be, because it sort of takes the classic Marvel characters and shrinks them down to little people size. <laughs> but you have a team of Avengers that's made up of Iron Man, the Hulk, Silver Surfer... Wolverine, and um, I'm blanking on who the other one was. And occasionally other folks pop in, like the Falcon would be there, and you would get Captain America who would pop in every once in a while, and Miss Marvel, and, um, and it was just such a good dynamic of characters. And in fact, my daughter and I have been watching through these intermittently, but they're laden with all kinds of juvenile humor, um, you know, the Hawk's got a propensity to eat everything that comes his way. Just silly <laughs> things like that. Um, oh, Thor. Thor is the other character who's on there. And it's just such a well done. And it, they're little inside jokes for, for Marvel fans. At the beginning of every episode as they sing the theme song and the heroes are flying around town defeating bad guys, there's a little clip of the Hawk at the end. He'll pop up. And then all of a sudden he'll transform into something from the classic Marvel universe. And it'll happen for a split second. And you have to keep your eye focused to, to catch it. Um, but a lot of funny things like they, they made the Hulk turn from green to gray. And all of a sudden he was reading Shakespeare and contemplating the mystery. <laughs> of the mm -hmm. 
just really good humored stuff. So I, I, that's one I highly recommend. You, you know, you saying that uh, and, and mentioning their, how they're sort of smaller versions makes me think we would be remiss. Um, of course, there's so many we could name, and we're never going to name them all, but we, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the Lego movie. I mean, talk about things you couldn't have done in the past, right? Like that movie, the animation in that movie is amazing because all of those characters really look like Legos, okay? They look like Legos. You think that they're Legos. They even move like Legos, and yet the the animation is sophisticated enough that they are actually, I'm not going to say that this is like Shakespeare or anything, but they're they're actually complex characters. Like you can see development, you can see emotion, all of these things from characters that look exactly like Lego pieces. You know, that, that kind of stuff is just fascinating to me. And I, I kind of think, you know, not not to discredit the big blockbuster films and television shows that we watch with these superhero characters because they're 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 uh, amazing in their own right and we're I'm sure we're going to do some episodes where we talk about a few of them. But I actually think that with the with the way that animation has developed, it, it's almost the the feature length cartoon is almost the best possible vehicle for doing superhero stuff. Because you can tell these stories with the kind of pathos and energy that they deserve without having to worry about the size of the special effects budget to make such and such happen or whether or not so and so will look convincingly, um, you know, in the suit. Um, There's something about and, and DC, I know, particular has been churning out these movies every couple of years yes. these these uh yeah, well they did you know. uh batman year one and the yeah. dark Knight yes. returns both both um as animated features i, I saw year one and, and enjoyed it and i thought it was it was great i mean it was a pretty uh again a pretty literalistic interpretation of the comic yeah i haven't seen the dark knight one though but i, I like saw them I saw the Dark Knight one. Um, I own both of those. And the Dark Knight one is astounding. Like, it just brings that book to life. And I've read that book, like, 50 times. Um, but that movie brought it alive in a way that I hadn't experienced before. Really, really good. Well, that brings us to our final segment, This or That. This or that. This or that. Come on, everybody. Let's this or that. Huh? Okay, so Father Kyle, um, you, you I believe, have uh, our this or that's for this week, uh, so I take do. it away. All right, the first one is for Father Jonathan. Green Lantern Hal Jordan or Green Lantern Kyle Rayner? Oh, Hal Jordan, no question. <laughs> Absolutely Hal Jordan. Why would you say that? You know how in any sort of military film or a police uh, drama or whatever there's like the guy who doesn't play by the rules you know and he (laughs) makes his own justice like that's that's really how jordan at his best i mean he didn't really start out that way necessarily because some of the some of the oldest stuff he's very um kind of a stuffy character uh but that's definitely the way that he's developed over the years and even more so than um, I'm trying to think of um, some of the other uh, Lantern characters, 
I mean, there, there's some of that in, in almost all of the Lantern characters, but I think Jordan's is the most believable, um, having, you know, come up as a, as a cocky pilot and uh, having seen his, um, you know, what happened to his father dying as a, as a pilot. I, I just think Hal Jordan is a much more compelling character than, than any of the other Lanterns, except maybe Jon Stewart, um, who I think is also a pretty uh, compelling character. Yes, good. All right, well, uh, on to Father Matt. This one is a, given that this is God in comics, we're going to give you a little theological, this or that. <laughs> the Anglican theologian Richard Hooker or the Anglican theologian John Stott? Oh, um, well, uh, probably Richard Hooker. Uh, I mean, Richard Hooker is sort of more uh, foundational for Anglicanism. Um, I, I, I mean, I love John Stott. I, I, I love his um, his his work, The Cross of Christ, in particular. But um, I, I I probably uh, I probably have more in common with Richard Hooker theologically. But um, yeah, I mean, both both great theologians, no doubt. Okay. Kind of, kind of a hard comparison, right? Like to compare. I'll bet, yeah, it is. <laughs> comparing it is a 16th century figure who was prominent in the founding of your denomination to somebody who's only been dead like three years. Yes, <laughs> I intended it to be a challenge. <laughs> you succeeded. <laughs> Good. <laughs> All right. On to Father Jonathan. Public enemy or de la soul? Public enemy. Public enemy. Yeah. You know, I met Chuck D once. Did you? Did you guys know that? Yeah, I, I actually uh, I got to interview him um, for a, a web publication that I used to write for uh, a million years ago, and uh, it was as a matter of fact he was so he was coming to give a lecture uh, at Towson University, and uh, I I emailed him just cold emailed him and said, hey, could I come and interview you? And he said yes. <laughs> And and so then I showed up and they didn't want to let me back to where he was because they didn't know anything about this. And so I was I was despairing that I wouldn't actually get to, to see him. And then I went into the restroom and he was there. I ran into him in the, oh, in the wow. bathroom and I was like, oh, hey, I emailed you. And he, he was like, yeah, you know, why don't you come on in? And a uh, really nice guy, uh, a lot shorter than I thought he was, but real nice guy. You know, he had a big plate of fruit. He kept offering me fruit. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, uh, I, I mean, I grew up with public enemy, so I, I, I can't get enough of, of, of that stuff. Okay. Well, on to father Matt as a girlfriend for Superman, wonder woman or Lois Lane. Oh, uh, well, Choose carefully. I, I have strong opinions about this father. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, let me let me think out loud here. Well, Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman is definitely more of a, a match for him as far as you know. They're both they're both superheroes, <laughs> but I, I I think if we lost Lois Lane, I, we would have lost something essential to Superman. Yeah, I mean there there's something, and moreover there's something romantic about the idea of. The, the super the superhero the the kind of godlike figure that 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 has this um, 
relationship with with an ordinary uh, woman. I mean, as as in the first Superman movie where he takes her flying through the the sky and everything like that. So, yeah, I kind of I kind of like the fact that that there's always been this romantic tension between Superman and uh, Wonder Woman. But I want to I I wouldn't want him to end up with her. Well, he is right now in the in the the comics. I mean, there's a whole Superman Wonder Woman comic that's just about their uh, their yeah. ongoing relationship. No, I mean, and that's interesting, um, no doubt. Yeah, I, Matt, Father Matt, I think your answer was the right answer. By the way, <laughs> like Father Jonathan's strong feelings to the opposite. I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to hate on Lois Lane, but uh, I, I, and I, I certainly think both the creators of Superman and especially the creator of Wonder Woman would be shocked and appalled at the idea of them together. Uh, but, yeah. but I think it makes a weird kind of sense to have the two of them end up together. And the other thing with Lois Lane is like in the earliest days of the comic, like she was basically like half of her role was basically to laugh at Clark Kent, right? Like she was this amazing woman that that uh, a nerdy guy like Clark Kent or really like uh, uh, Siegel and Schuster, uh, <laughs> um, like like a nerdy guy like Clark Kent couldn't have somebody like Lois Lane, and so she was always kind of hating on him. But then he would turn into Superman, and she she would go Gaga for him, and uh, you know I just find that like so kind of facile uh in comparison to the idea that like you know if you had a relationship between wonder woman and superman it would be just complicated in a completely different kind of way um Mm. so i don't know that they've done it very well a lot of the issues um have been a little bit too tied into crossover nonsense but uh right but i do think that it's an interesting uh pairing yeah Interesting. Well, Father Jonathan, the next one is for you. Speedy or Aqualad? <laughs> um, uh, uh, Speedy, I guess. I mean, I like I like Arsenal, who, which is who Speedy has become. Right. So um, you know, but then again, he's you know he's a heroin addict. Um, I guess well, that uh, makes his character all the more interesting. That's true. <laughs> you know, that, I I agree with you. Aqualad. I don't know. There's not a lot going on, but Aqualad. Well, now we did talk about cartoons today. I think Aqualad on the Young Justice series is is a very interesting, well developed character. Um, but I I would not say that is true of of Aqualad in general. Um, and uh, as stupid as the name Speedy is, I think Aqualad is probably dumber. <laughs> Anything with lad in it is really, you know, anyway. Yes. (laughs) Well, the next one is for Father Matt. Count Chocula or Kevin Conroy cereal? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let me me specify. Uh, Let me clear this up here. It's quite a controversy that's developed around this, Father Matt. I, yeah, I, I was I was referring to the um, the original Batman serial, you know, the serialized adventure. Not I, I, I thought when I heard 
Uh, him said another actor. I thought he was talking about him. I forgot the name and the voice. Kevin Conroy was bad. Then, I but. couldn't help but razz you on that one. Here, here's but, the here's the the good one. Popular <laughs> Frank and Barry. Oh uh, well, I I think probably Count Chocula. Although although actually, yeah, it, Count Chocula is pretty disgusting now that I'm an adult. It's uh. <laughs> I always, and I actually have to go with the third party here and say Booberry. Oh, I was going to include that. Interesting. Yeah. Have you all had Yummy Mummy? That <laughs> one, or uh, what's no. the other variant? Um, there's another variant of that that's very similar to Yummy Mummy. Oh, what was the werewolf one? That's the one. I can't. It's like a. It's either like a fruity thing or a cherry. Well, see, whatever it was, it was very forgettable. I wasn't allowed to eat these cereals when I was a kid. My my friends were always jealous because their mom would buy them, like, grape nuts and, like, (laughs) puffed wheat. And then they'd come over my house and I'd have, like, booberry and, like, fruity pebbles and lucky charms. Yeah, I get lucky lucky charms now, like, by the boatload. (laughs) Yeah, they're yeah. good. I like Lucky Charms. <laughs> and you can buy, you know, you can buy the marshmallows like on Amazon, just a bag of Lucky Charm marshmallows. Really? No, yeah. I didn't know I that. I haven't tried it yet. Uh, you could also get uh, just the berries from Captain Crunch. Right. Or you could skip, you could cut out the middleman and just start buying insulin. <laughs> that would work too. <laughs> So, so we've right. spent this episode talking about G.I. Joe, Spider-Man and his amazing friends, and Count Chocula. I feel like I've, you know, I've never really grown up. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, Father Jonathan, next one is for you. Captain Kirk or Captain Jean-Luc Picard? Oh, man. Ooh. That is a tough Ooh. one. That is a really tough one. Um oh. You know, and in some ways it depends on what the context is, um, because if it, if it's diplomacy, then definitely Captain Picard. Uh, but if it's a fight, then quite possibly Captain Kirk. But I I think I think I'm gonna have to say Captain Picard, but just by just by a hair. It's just by a hair. Okay. Which is ironic because he doesn't have any hair. But <laughs> there we are. I think I'd trust myself under his leadership more. All right. Well, next one's for Father Matt. Uh, Betty or Veronica? <laughs> oh, uh, um, probably Betty. Because Ver- Veronica is sort of a, a spoiled rich girl. That kind of gets on my nerves a bit. Betty's like, yeah. you know, girl next door. Yeah. 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 Veronica's like the bad girl, right? Like she's got kind of that vibe. Yeah, well, you could tell because she has dark hair. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just like you know, um, the um, you know, on, on I Dream of Jeannie, her evil sister had the dark hair. That's true. <laughs> That's right. But I, I, I shouldn't say it because my wife has dark hair. So, but she, and she's not an evil person, as far as I know. Good that you added that disclaimer, Father Jonathan. Please. Um, feel free to edit that out. 
during. Yeah, I, I, do, I do like the fact that you, uh, Father Matt, you basically created a problem for yourself you didn't have and then tried to solve it in the same sentence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The story of my life. Has your wife ever made it this far in the podcast? She she's listened to it. Um, as, yeah, I don't know if she's listened to a whole episode. Actually, this will be a good test. <laughs> That's right. We'll see. So we have time for one more. One more, yeah. One more, Father Jonathan. Paper or plastic? <laughs> <laughs> uh, paper. I guess. I don't know. I bring my own bags. So <laughs> there you go. You because got the I love the planet, Father Kyle. I don't know what you feel about the planet, but I love it. I love, I love the planet as well. But only, you know, only as a friend. That's right. <laughs> um, I love the planet because it doesn't have dark hair, which would make it... Evil, evil, evil version. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of God and Comics. Uh, our theme song is done by Father Paul Wheatley. Hopefully you are enjoying that in your earbuds right now. You can go and visit us at godandcomics.com. Uh, to find out more about the show or you can check us out on either Twitter or Facebook. Uh, until next time, I'm Father Jonathan Michigan. I'm Father Kyle Tomlin. I'm Father Matt Stromberg. We'll see you next time. <laughs>